I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Stephen. And I'm Helen. And on this week's News Dates and Podcast... We talk about Boris Johnson and the extra money for the NHS, or not. Helen gets very angry. I do get very angry, very, very angry, repeatedly. And on You Ask Us... Has the BBC gone soft on the Brexiteers? So, shall we talk about everyone's favourite foreign secretary? (laughs) Who is that? Remind me who that is again. It's also everyone's least favourite foreign secretary, Captain Leader Legend, Boris Johnson, and his wizard wheeze to fix the NHS. So remind me of the chronology of this story then. Basically they were having they were gonna have a cabinet meeting on what Monday morning. Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. And ahead of the cabinet meeting he decided, or friends of his friends of his, decided to brief out that he was bloody well gonna ask for some more money for the old bally old NHS. How's that all going? On the basis that he'd made a big promise during the referendum and he was cribbins if he wasn't gonna keep it. Yes? Pretty much, yeah. I mean he'd made these remarks at a, a lobby drinks event fairly recently as well. The neo-leavers needed to start making the case for Brexit. It obviously was well leaked, including to papers who weren't, you know, in his supporters club, as it were, but obviously received a very glowing write-up from his supporters club, aka The Telegraph. Then this morning, from our perspective, and not this morning, from the perspective of whenever our listeners are listening to this, the papers were full of his kind of dressing down in cabinet, which, you know, kind of, as you would expect, sort of leaked incredibly quickly from various sources where basically you know all of the remain backing ministers were just like this isn't helpful this just helps jeremy corbyn what are you doing and then most of the leave backing ministers were like look i agree we should put more money in the nhs but like let's not do it by you know it appearing in every paper that we think there's a crisis in the healthcare system i think the most interesting and unreported part of what happened in the cabinet i mean it was reported because it has been well leaked to lots of people, including me. But um, the thing that I think lots of people hadn't really picked up on is then Jeremy Hunt also did the, I really wish you hadn't done this by going to the papers. But he also said, but I agreed in the NHS needs more money. But don't you think this is another example of what I think we previously called the kind of prisoner's dilemma theory of the Tory party, right? Which is that it is in everyone's interests to stake out their leadership bid, although that is unhelpful overall to the concept of getting a Tory government re-elected. Yeah, although actually in this case, I think weirdly, you know, the thing that's always important to remember is that if you want most 
people to hear your message you just need to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it now obviously the effective way to do that is to have something like the long-term economic plan or um, labor's message in 2017 where you can repeat it without necessarily appearing to repeat it so labor's big message in the yeah from basically the easter recess on to the 2017 election was labor will take something from the rich i not you even if you were in fact someone who in kind of a distributional perspective should really define yourself as rich and give something to everyone and that was basically the golden thread of all of their policy announced announcements and obviously it fit with their slogan but it basically kind of meant that even if most people couldn't name and basically only labor policies people could name in vast numbers by the election were the bank holidays and some of the animal rights stuff actually i think yeah mm. and then like more money for the nhs but there's always the suspicion that when you ask people to name a labor policy and they go more money for the nhs they're just I mean, like yeah that's going pretty... yeah probably this is a safe bet but you know crucially the conservatives need to if they'd have any chance at the next election of getting their majority back or staying in office in any way shape or form not beat labor on the nhs that will always be in a way fixture for them but just not have it be a high salience issue which means two things. One, it means just putting more money into it. And two, it means talking a bit, ideally not during the general election campaign when they just do not want to talk about the NHS at all. But at this point, talking a lot about how, well, we know that there have been problems. We're taking tough decisions. We're taking tough decisions. We are, we are taking a long-term view. Yeah, I agree. Here's some you. more money for it. Yeah, and then just like... Do you think that immigration will be a big issue at the next session? I mean, I, I, I so much of it is dependent on when that is. But if you assume it is a post-Brexit next general election... Because it really went down in salience at this last election, which I think helped Labour enormously, as did obviously Labour's kind of slightly two-faced position on it in terms of ending freedom of movement while also saying cuddle refugees. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, right? And Because the slightly odd thing about voter behaviour after the 2016 election is it both makes a great deal of sense and no sense at all, right? Then effectively, a large chunk of people who were concerned about immigration up until the 2016 referendum regard that issue as fixed because they voted to leave the EU. Now, of course, immigration is unlikely to go down absent a fairly significant recession. And seeing as it seems that we are in a period of significantly faster than expected global growth, you know, the, the thing about the, oh, people, you know, Brexit hasn't hurt the economy, it's just like, no, that, that is clearly untrue if you, if you kind of look at what the global economy is doing and then what you would expect the British economy to be doing given what the global economy is doing, Britain is doing considerably worse. But because no one expected the global economy to be doing so well, the kind of Brexit damage is still quite a good economic. It is weirdly analogous to us not joining the common market in the first place. But the important thing about all of that is that immigration is unlikely to go down. However, most of the places where people were really concerned about immigration, immigration wasn't that high anyway. So on the one hand, logically, you would assume that in 2022, immigration will not be lower than it is now. And a group of people Ooh, are... Do you really think so? Because I think it probably... I mean, the net immigration figures have fallen quite sharply. But we're still... We are still a net importer of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wonder whether or not it's one of those things that whether or not... I agree there is 
for some people there are genuine concerns about you know if you're someone that's near a warehouse that kind of ex- exclusively imports kind of groups of you know, huge groups of eastern european people en masse and that there's a kind of resentment about that in the community but i also think it was notable how much less immigration was on the front pages right so i think it's salience as an issue is inevitably determined by that i'm struggling this morning Stephen, because i'm just i'm so angry i'm so angry about the ft story can we talk about the ft story because i think it's really interesting when we talk about politics journalism and actually our cover story this week i've written a piece about women in politics but to be a woman in politics or writing about politics is inevitably to have to negotiate a majority male atmosphere almost all the time obviously not in the women's plp meeting or in uh, you know the appg on childcare or something like that but even the, you know, actually the women in equalities select committee has got several blokes on it right so even that isn't the feminist haven you'd hope particularly as one of those is um the conservative philip davis who is opposed to feminism actually i think gavin shuker is on that committee as well i'm pretty sure who is very pro-feminist so he will survive the great feminist grieving i just think it's really fascinating how aware are you when you are in westminster of it being a blokey environment i mean hugely aware not least because it is also a yeah, like the the one thing that Westminster is even more of than a blokey environment is a white environment, particularly in political journalism, right? Like the parliamentary press gallery is less diverse than than the parliamentary parties who are already not, you know, exactly keeping pace with the country at large. Yeah, so I guess it's kind of something and I continually would be the wrong way of putting it. But like every day at some point, you kind of bump up against it. I think it's really fascinating because it manifests itself in weird little ways. Like one of the things that I think is always really fascinating is that I hardly ever, ever do a show with, say, Isabel Hardman of The Spectator. You know, I think it's kind of on the same level as me in broadcast terms because they don't want to waste two women in the same slot. So you, you would always kind of, you know, the only time I ever seem to, you know, really do something with another female political journalist is often women's hour. Actually, that's not true in the Sunday politics. It's often Isabel Oakeshott as well, because she's a rare female Brexiteer. But it's, it is, I think that is kind of fascinating. And there is a sort of awareness often that you, there's a kind of extra guilt put on you often for turning things down, because it's be like, but we, you're the only woman, like, well, we need a woman on the panel. And then, and I think that's kind of its own fascinating guilt trip of like, but, you know, if you say no, then we won't have a woman. Like, that's my fault somehow that I should just give more of my free time away because, you know, there's this huge structural problem. The FT story about this private dinner and all the money that it's raised, you know, I think Nadim Zahawi went to it, right? And he's now saying that actually it's changed a lot and he walked out because he was very uncomfortable. But I just wonder if the whole... But I'm sure there are loads and loads of people in, in Westminster who, you know, those kind of all-male events actually feel quite natural to them and therefore Westminster is kind of an extension to that. If anything, they're probably sort of slightly surprised there are quite so many women around the place these days. I, I don't know. I think in an odd way that kind of like exculpates like... Nadim Zawi for I think like this amazing dogma ate my homework excuse right because yes are the majority of spaces I do my working life in majority white majority male of course however none of those spaces have all of the women wearing skimpy black dresses with matching and therefore presumably partially exposed underwear if I if I have uh, well, I think I, the idea was that at some point someone might see your underwear yeah, yeah. so that's why it's got a match which um, is grim in itself the, the bit the really grim detail from the story was this idea so for anyone who didn't read it although it is now free on the FT site this is this charity fundraising dinner for city guys which is all male only but all of her females all the staff are female and they're all told to wear matching dresses and then some of the details were kind of positively handmade tailly well, like, not all of the staff because the some of the staff whose job it is is to like to like go like you're staff. not interacting with the yeah. the men enough or you've been hiding in the toilet for yeah. a while go back out and go back out and get poured a bit more or yeah. kind of have to pretend to like find people's jokes amusing i mean god 
find but, a pound for every time I've had to find a man's joke amusing that wasn't amusing. I, I wouldn't be sitting here. That's what I'm saying. But, um, yeah, that, that at least is, is not a space and is anything close to any space I have been invited to speak at or had to go to or cover, right? So I just kind of feel like the I arrived, I left early, or kind of actually like all of these, like, you know, like Peter Jones is one of the Dragon's Den thing where he is on the guest list. Now, it's not clear if everyone on the guest list actually turned up, you know, but... I arrived and I left early is very much of the kind of, you know, great news of the world, 90s school of sort of sex um, scandals where it would be like, I made my excuses and left, right, from the kind of swinging party in Hertfordshire. And you always went a bit, did you though? Did you? I, I mean, also, right, like... So one of the organisers of this event is a director at the Department of Education where Nadim oh. Zahawi has just been appointed yeah. Minister for Children and Families. Now, the reason why I think the, oh, I left early excuse doesn't quite work is, you know, I imagine, you know, let's say that, you know, something dreadful has happened and I have become Minister for Children and Families. And I am at this event and, you know, suddenly like, you know, a bunch of scantily clad women come out and get poured and the, the you know, the compare goes, welcome to the least politically correct event in the social calendar. I feel at that point I might go, oh my God, I need to leave right now before I end up on the front page of something. But I also assume at that point I would tell my Secretary of State at least, look, so I was at this event and one of the directors of, who organized by one of the directors of our department the event seems kind of sordid, so maybe we should quietly tell him to quit now. See, and that, that, I, that I think is kind of part of the problem with the, like, I left early. But we're just like, well... But the other awesome thing about that is that you can see why in that situation people don't want to leave early because it's embarrassing and they don't want to make a scene, which is such a useful thing. If, if, if men are thinking that now, I want them to hold on to that feeling because that is exactly why women don't speak up about sexual harassment because you don't want to make a scene, right? If it's something that's really minor but uncomfortable... It's just frank social embarrassment prevents you from going, your hand is on my ass in a public place because who wants to draw attention to that? And that's why these things, you know, it, it is a really useful reminder of how bad things are, like, you know, good people kind of are complicit in bad things because well, social embarrassment is such a strong... I think that's the thing is a, a much better argument, as you say, is I, than I left early is it was a terrible event. I don't know. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, I just sat there and waited for it for it to be <laughs> yeah, over. And longed for the sweet um, embrace of death. Which I think actually, I mean, it's one of those interesting examples. I think of a lot of not just political apologies, you know, but there is this weirdness in public life that people do not feel able to do something which in real life people navigate all the time, which is to go, I knew it was wrong, I shouldn't have done it, but I did it anyway. But I because, was weak <laughs> because it just felt so awkward, and you know, yeah. I suspect that. Actually, people are more sympathetic to that argument than they are to going like, oh, you know, when I left, it seemed like such a low-key party. It was moments after I ended that they started chasing the women out of the toilets because they'd spent too long there not being sleezed over. But why would I go to a men's only fundraiser? I think that's the thing I like. Well, that, this is the thing I find really fascinating. Like, I wouldn't, I, I'm not really into... I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I am liberal in the sense of I'm, I'm very uneasy about banning things. And I'm not even sure about whether or not I would ban gentlemen's clubs i certainly you can't ban private gatherings of people if they want to be all male but i just find them so weird i wrote about them the freemasons a couple of weeks ago and i just thought i just don't know I, it's it's it feels so outdated for me that you have to kind of have a a work sphere or a leisure sphere that is single sex because you know because you, you get enough of the little woman at home that just feels like such a relic of a, a kind of 
you know, the idea that your working man's club or whether it's a gentleman's club is your refuge because all that happens at home is that you get nagged and you need a sort of space to kind of relax and be yourself just feels really, really from another time. It's fascinating. It's just weird to me. Not least because, you know, most people live in, in working couples now, right? So it's not this idea that actually you as the guy are the breadwinner and therefore you need this kind of special space where you can relax with your fellow breadwinners. And also don't most people have at least one female friend? Yeah, well, that, but this is my long with my theory of men is that I'm really deeply suspicious of men who don't have any female friends. And actually it's a big test of a politician. I'm really fascinated to know, for example, whether or not Boris Johnson has got any female friends. Does he have any women that he's not actively trying to sleep with that he respects as you know independent humans? That would be a big test of his character. If, he, if I found that he, he did, actually, that would put him up in my estimation. I'm not entirely sure whether or not that's true. Please write in. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com today in a section we like to call you ask us the question we have is i think it's a very good one it's have broadcasters, particularly the BBC, kind of been bounced into taking a tone about Brexit and is more positive than the facts would suggest? This morning on the Today programme, if uh, you didn't have the misfortune to be listening to it, I was listening to Radio 3, but I switched over to hear Tessa Jowell speak about uh, her cancer treatment. There was discussion of this money for the NHS from Brexit and discussion of the Brexit dividend and how it should be spent. Now, like, this is one of those things where, like, you know, you can have your own opinions, but you cannot have your own facts. There is not a Brexit dividend because one, we can see that the Brexit vote has cost money. But even if it hadn't, right, let's say it had been fiscally neutral, right? There is not a Brexit dividend because the money that is spent on Brexit will mostly go into replicating the things that our joint payment went to, right? The rebate never actually leaves, so that doesn't that doesn't create more money in the system. The extra money in the system, right? Either we will be paying to continue to be a member of the European Members Agency, Medicines Agency, various other kind of cross-border regulatory things, or we will need to hire and create our own quangos, right? But there is not a pool of money that can be. Then there's a debate about where you spend it, unless the Conservative Party wants to have a very electorally painful conversation with farmers about where that money is going to go. So it's it's fictitious, right? Like there is just not a, a debate. However, the idea that there might be one was one which was entertained at some length on the Today programme this morning. It just reminds me a lot of 350 Million Gate, which I think you wrote about in your cover story about, or maybe it was the Brexit Odd Squad cover story way back when, about the fact that just mentioning it a lot, even in the context of debunking it, put those words together in people's minds. I think it's exactly the same as the War on Christmas, which is, a, as far as I can see, a, you know, entirely fabricated out of whole cloth but american news anchors just said it so much that lots of people believe it's true something incredible like i can't remember what percentage of u.s republicans still think that um, barack obama is a muslim right if you just say things enough unfortunately they do stick so 
I think that the BBC should not use that phrase itself ever in its reporting and should pick up people when they when they use it and just when in the item should always reference the fact that it's bollocks. But I think also there is this problem and it's not just one that the broadcasters uh, have. And actually, I see it a lot online, you know, where people go like, oh, if both sides are slagging you off, you must be doing something right. And it's like, well... Or you're just or wrong you're just in two wrong different in ways. Two different ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, yeah, actually, like, the, the truth does not exist. There's some, like, weird, like, state of equilibrium between any two random claims. Some claims are false, some claims are true. I think the problem um, that the BBC has got, though, is it is so culturally remain because it is mostly staffed by you know, London-based graduates. Uh, who are younger than the national average, that it is therefore, I think it goes absolutely over the top in bending over backwards to try and seem what it feels to be fair, even when that's not evidence-based fair, that's just, as you say, equidistance between two points. And I think that is a huge problem. Yeah, and I think, yeah, like, I mean, kind of, again, like, so the fall in the value of the pound, right? That happened because of Brexit. It has been good for manufacturers. It has not been good for households. Tourists, yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, yeah. No, I mean, it's been good for tourists, yeah. but it's been very bad for people who want to go abroad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So there are that, that's the thing. So like a, a, a balance, you know, a balancing of like, well, what what's the impact of the fall of the pound mean? Well, it depends on who you are. Whereas a lot of the time it feels balanced becomes some people say the pound has gone up, some people say the pound has gone down. Mm. Maybe the pound has stayed the same. The pound has not stayed the same. Haram, haram. Good harumphing. You've been listening to the New States and Podcast with me, Stephen Bush, and my colleague, Helen Lewis. It's recorded by India Bork and produced by Caroline Crampton. Our music is licensed under Creative Commons and is Devil by the Devil. If you enjoy the New States and Podcast, why not take the time to review us on iTunes or SoundCloud or ratemypodcast.org or, you know, datemypodcast or any of the numerous podcast rating websites that I'm sure are out there. I'm angry about men, Stephen. (laughs) I can't do the podcast while I'm still so angry about men. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.